It's absurd. I just feel it's important that the stuff just must come out. It's, it must stop. What would you do if your neighbors were starving? The easy answer would be something like buy them some food. But what if there are no shops open for hundreds of miles and your village is located in a desert area with sparse vegetation? Then what? Well, I guess you might do what Petrus Valboy did. He went hunting and he was successful. And for a moment, starvation was kept at bay. But then bureaucracy and the legal system came down on him and his local community with tremendous force. They were trying to look after their people and here they are being labeled criminals. In this episode, we will be dealing with the situation of the indigenous Kumani San people during the most extreme period of the South African COVID-19 lockdown. A situation that exposed the ancient juridical problems that the South African system still has in recognizing the indigenous people's way of life and their rights. The main decision makers does not stay on the land of the people. So therefore the problems that the community members are facing on a daily basis, they are unaffected by that. My name is Justin Kitchio. South Africa has been, uh, as we all know, affected quite a bit by the virus. This is Leslie Johnson talking from her office in Cape Town. I'm an um, indigenous woman from South Africa, part of the Khoikhoi community. I have been involved with indigenous people's rights activism for most of um, the last two decades. I'm an indigenous lawyer and I'm currently the CEO for Resource Africa, supporting African rural communities around them conserving, managing and sustainably using their natural resources. Indigenous groups are estimated to comprise approximately 1% of South Africans' population. Collectively, the various indigenous communities are known as Khoisan, comprising the San and the Khoikhoi peoples. However, they are not recognized as a cultural community. We're still outside of the formal system, even though we might be documented as individuals existing, uh, but not in terms of our collective rights, yeah. Being the epicenter of a particularly contagious variant of the virus, South Africa has had a rough time. At least three million cases of COVID have been detected. Though some experts estimate that as many as 45 million cases might be a more realistic number. That is around 75% of the population. The indigenous people of South Africa were hit just as hard by the virus as the rest of the South African population. But the restrictions that followed the outbreak of the pandemic proved in many ways to have an even more severe impact on their communities. Some of the communities, you know, issues like food security, communities dependent on tourism for their livelihoods, um, these communities were affected 
Um, and we know at some point there was no income, especially we, when we were at uh, level five of the regulations. Um, there was absolutely no income for, for many people in the country and more so for indigenous people. Alert level five indicates a high spread of COVID-19 combined with a low health system readiness. This state of emergency allows the South African government to take drastic measures to contain the disease from spreading further. When the virus first broke, the emergency level quickly rose to level five. No travel was allowed. Everyone had to stay inside their homes. They were not even allowed to go to work. We were really just confined to our homes at the time. So that was the, that was the out of the five levels, that was the most extreme. The lockdown stressed the market and that led to inflation. As a result, basic food items became unaffordable, especially in the more remote areas where indigenous communities are located. The combination of rising prices and loss of income was devastating and threatened the lives of many members in these communities, especially the elderly and disabled. It was, it was a very difficult time and it was also especially difficult for your, your elderly people because there's quite a number of elderly people who live by themselves. Our government also did not provide any services to on onto the land of the Kumani. This is Ivan Falboy. I'm originally from the Kalahari in, in, in South Africa, but I'm currently based in Cape Town. So I'm working with an organization called Natural Justice. The Kalahari is a vast desert area reaching from Botswana into Namibia and down to the northern part of South Africa. In this landscape, Ivan grew up as part of the Komani-san, a hunter-gatherer community that has inhabited this area for 20,000 years. A hundred years ago, you would find wetlands in between the dry, sand-covered plateau. But during the last decades, more and more of the water resources have been exploited and water has become a more precious commodity than ever before. If people need to get access to clean drinking water, they need to hire someone to go fetch water for them. And that person needs to be paid. They just can't afford, you know, the most basic things in the Kalahari. For Ivan's people, the crisis became critical and they were suffering badly. But then Ivan's 77-year-old father, Petrus, decided to take action. So my father's name is Pietras Falboy. So he's our current traditional leader um, up in the Kalahari. He was observing what was happening and immediate support, immediate help at the time was needed. Petras Falboy is a well-respected leader of the community where 4,000 people live. So he has a very long history in terms of, of, of our community. Um, in the, his earlier years, mobilizing the communities and then later on also becoming part of, of sort of like a historical movement to, to get the elders together, to collect our stories. And um, I'm his younger son. Yes. One morning, Ivan's father and a group of four men packed their rifles to go and do what their people have been doing forever. 
they went hunting. Determined to bring back a springbok or two, which they intended to give to the starving elderly people of the community. A quite easy and obvious solution to a starvation problem. But unfortunately, things didn't go according to plan. I was in Cape Town at the time, I was busy working. Um, and yeah, I received the call from the Kalahari and my people on that side told me that a case have been opened against my father and the other leaders. Ivan is shocked. His father and four other men from the community were facing criminal charges because of a hunt. What happened? You know, it wasn't an impulsive decision just to go out and do the hunting. First, they went out onto the land to assess, you know, the situation. And what they found was that the animals were already too much for the land. In particular, Ivan's father found out that there were too many springbok on the land eating the vegetation. If the number of plant-eating animals is not kept at a certain level, it can harm the whole ecosystem, and the hunters know this for a good reason. So the sun communities in general were mostly hunter-gatherers, and they've also later on started to have a more post-pastoralistic type of lifestyle. Yeah, we have a very deep connection with nature. Ivan's father and the other leaders from the community concluded that a hunt for springbok in this area wouldn't be a problem. If anything, this hunt could help regulate the problem with overpopulation. Springbok is it's animals that multiply very quickly. Um, and it's also animals that is abundance everywhere. So it's not an endangered animal species. So they went to the police station, they, they clarified all of the, the weapons they were going to use for the hunting trip. They made sure that all of the forms um, needed to be, or rather was filled in. They handed in a letter to the police to acknowledge the, the police in the situation and telling them that this is going to happen. All of this may seem strange and overly bureaucratic, especially for a hunter-gatherer community. But these procedures and formalities are all necessary evils. At one time, the Komani-san ruled over their own land. But because of European occupation, they lost it. Some decades ago, they successfully reclaimed this land. But the deal was far from perfect. And today, they still don't manage it fully. This means that they are not free to hunt when it's needed and the right thing to do. Instead, they have to apply and pay a large sum of money to hunt on their own land. But going through all the necessary procedures was not enough. Um, they then spent two weeks outside of the office of the CPA to try and convince the CPA that this hunting trip should go ahead. The CPA executive is the community property association management that governs the land on behalf of the community. But this association is controlled by the state of South Africa. There is a court appointed administrator who has the final word on matters concerning, for instance, hunting in the Komanisan areas. 
and the CPA together with the court appointed administrator came back and he said that no, the hunting is not going to happen. Petrus Falboy and his group have spent two weeks outside the CPA office. They have done everything right according to the rules of law up until now. This hunt simply had to take place. It would jeopardize the lives of too many people in the community not to go through with it. There are people in the communities that are really starving and they needed to do something um, to help those community members. So they did the hunting trip um, either way. The five men go hunting and when they return with fresh springbok, they are welcomed by happy community members that can now avoid starving for the time being. But unfortunately, the happiness didn't last. Petras and other leaders were criminally charged. The news shook the entire South African community of indigenous people's rights defenders. One of them is Leslie Jensen, the indigenous lawyer we met earlier. It's absurd. And I, I'm done with this madness. I just, I just feel it's, it's important that this stuff must, it must just must come out. It's, it must stop. He, he has to face a criminal charge for hunting his own resources. It's madness. To Leslie, the Falboy case shows a lot of the challenges and missing rights of the Kumani San people. For example, the Khoi Khoi and San communities were not included as part of the cultural communities recognized by the state. As a result, they were not included in the government's relief programs during the lockdown. Obviously, the traditional leaders get consulted because they are the closest uh, level to the communities, the Koyin San was excluded from that because they are not recognized as part of the traditional leadership system. Also, they are challenged by the racist heritage of South Africa. They are having to navigate their identity because in South Africa, uh, the apartheid uh, classification of identity is still in place, and so they are having to navigate through that uh, classification still. And so they are still bearing the stigma of that force labeling of coloredness. Certainly apartheid being abolished is something that we celebrate, but it didn't go enough because um, we were not recognized as a cultural community existing in South Africa. To Leslie Johnson, it is important to be precise when defining what an indigenous people really is. What sets minorities and indigenous people apart fundamentally is their aboriginality, their land rights, their rootedness to the state, which is not the basis of minority rights, which is minority rights are focused on individual rights. And when it comes to land rights, we arrive at the heart of the matter in the Petrus Falboy case, which is only emphasized even more during the COVID-19 crisis. The land is under court administration 
So as a community, they don't have a say on their land and their resources. So the state has a say on their own private land. And from Ivan Falboy and his father's point of view, this makes life very difficult for the Kumani San people. Because we were trying to get the message across to them, but because they are not from that background, they didn't understand. They, they didn't understand the magnitude as to what was actually happening. Um, they didn't understand as to how people were actually suffering. The court appointed administrator and the chairperson of the community property organization simply didn't get how serious the situation was for Petrus Falboy's community. And there is an important reason for that. Um, so part of that problem, which is a problem that actually still exists in the Kalahari right now, the main decision makers does not stay on the land of the people. So therefore the problems that the community members are facing on a daily basis, they are unaffected by that. So the court appointed administrator stays in Cape Town very comfortably. The chairperson of the CPA executive stays in Uppington, where he has access to all of the resources that's available in Uppington. He has access to, to good health facilities. There is electricity, there's clean drinking water. Everything is there. You know, our way of life has always been, you know, hunting and living sustainably with those natural resources. So why do we not have access to those resources? And why can't we as a community not govern those resources according to our ancient customs and traditions? For Leslie Johnson, there is only one solution to the situation. If you're not living with elephants, with lions, with rhinos, having to navigate this life, and if you are not affected by this, you should not get a vote. The problems between the government's land administrators and the people actually living on the land are not new. But the pandemic made a bad situation worse. And it has exposed the juridical holes and inequalities that still exist in South African law regarding the rights of indigenous people. What it has shown for the indigenous people's rights struggles is that um, it pronounced our challenges because um, the fact that a crisis emerged and a state had to respond where does it leave a community that's outside of the rule of, rule of law system? Yeah, you've got an ID, but you're not really fully plugged into the state. Just imagine what that would be. Ivan Falboy and Leslie Johnson agree that something must be done in order to recognize the Komani San as a cultural community and help them in situations like a pandemic so they don't have to choose between breaking the law or dying from starvation. I felt that at the time measures should have been put in place to help guide community members how they can navigate through that space. For one and a half years, Ivan's old father had to deal with criminal charges sticking to him wherever he went. 
you know, I was shocked that for the CPA executive, you know, as a communal structure, that they didn't even have the decency to get my father and the other members in first and to sit down with them and to have an internal discussion before going out and to lay charges against them. Petras and the other men were left in the dark. They didn't know if their case was postponed and they didn't know when it would proceed. And even though they had not been convicted yet, the charges meant that their reputations suffered a lot of damage. And furthermore, they lost some of their privileges as community leaders. My father has always been one of those people. Like he always used to look at the greater good of everybody else. It was really the first time that I've seen him being hit so hard. He was at one of his lowest points ever in his life because yet they were trying their level best to look after their people and yet they are being labeled criminals. Recently in November 2021, the charges eventually got dropped after one and a half years of waiting. Hopefully this is a fast, small step in the right direction towards legal certainty for the Komani San people and their right to their own land. You have listened to Locked Down and Locked Out. This series is produced by Louisa Trier and Emil Rothstein Christensen on behalf of the International Work Group for Indigenous Affairs with support from BMZ and GIZ. Thanks to everyone participating in this series. My name is Justin Kitchell.